you, I have zero complaints about Luka being on the first team. I thought about it for a while, and at first I was kind of mad that Jokic wasn't on that list. But looking at what Luka done throughout this series, throughout this season, putting up 29, 9, and 9, and his historic, and the way he balled out against the Clippers in the playoffs, the sky's the limit for the kid, and he's doing this at 21 years old. I have zero complaints, well-earned, well-deserved. Yeah, no, I like this. I think Luca. we talked about that 30-point triple-double month that he had, uh, really the season that he was having, and especially building off the Rookie of the Year. He was second in most improved voting, which I'm um, still a little iffy about that one, but I have no issue with him. That argument I, Yes, yes, I have no issue. Well, yeah, the Rookie of the Year goes on to be an All-Star. I don't think that that's most improved. He went but, on to be an MVP candidate yeah, yeah, and made first-team All-NBA. Yes. And the fact that no but, one else that was, has done that. But that was Rookie of the Year and then continued to get better at. Like, we're going to get into this. Again. Okay, anyways, I have no problem with Luka Doncic being on that first team. I think it's very, very deserving. Well, good evening and welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And what a way to start the show off. With the panel discussing the pretty much the all NBA team, and of course Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James sets record with 16th selection to all NBA team. Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James made history Wednesday when he was named to a 16th all NBA team in his 17-year career, which snapped a tie with Hall of Famers. Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for the most in league history. James was one of five players alongside presumptive NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and James's teammate, Anthony Davis, to be named to the league's All-NBA First Team Wednesday as all three NBA teams were unveiled on ESPN's The Jump. In addition to snapping a tie with those three legends, James also extended a record he already held by getting named by being named to his 13th All NBA First Team. James, who made 11 straight first teams before the first significant injury of his career cut short last season, his first with the Lakers, and saw him drop to the third team, showed he still is arguably the best player on the planet at age 35. His dominant season saw him lead the NBA in assists for the first time in his career. The other 10 players honored Wednesday were guards Chris Paul and Damian Lillard, forwards Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard, and center Nikolai Jokic, who made up the second team and guards Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook, forwards Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler, and center Rudy Gobert, who were selected to the third team. With longtime All-NBA stalwarts such as Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, and Kyrie Irving, missing most, if not all, of this season because of injuries, several openings among the 15 selections were filled by first-time honorees, including Doncic, Tatum, Simmons, and Siakam. First-rate combination, the Lakers, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis are the first pair of teammates to make all-NBA first team in the same season since Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire 
in 2006-2007 with the Suns. A look at when it's happened in past 50 years. The teammates, Davis and LeBron, 2019-2020. Stoudemire Nash, 2006-2007 season. Shaq and Kobe, three times. Jordan Pippen, 1995-96. Malone Stockton, two times. Bird, Kevin McHale, 1986-87. Kareem and Magic, two times. Irving Malone, 1982-83. Gobert also gained future financial flexibility by being named to the All-NBA third team. Gobert was already was already Supermax eligible on a potential contract extension with the Jazz this offseason. But now that he's made All-NBA again this season, he can also be eligible to sign a Supermax deal with Utah if he becomes an unrestricted free agent next season, next offseason. While Gobert can make more money in the future, Siakam and Simmons both are able to make more money now as a result of their respective selections. Because Siakam was selected to the All-NBA second team, the contract extension that he agreed to last summer jumped from being 25% of the amount that the salary cap is set at after this season to 28%. Simmons, who also agreed to a contract extension before this season, also had his deal increased to 28% of the salary cap by making All-NBA third team. Had Sixer center Joel Embiid, who finished 31 points behind Gobert for the third team All-NBA center spot, made one of the All-NBA teams, he would have become eligible for a Supermax extension after next season. If Embiid makes an All-Star NBA team next season, he will be able to sign a four-year Supermax extension like the one Lillard signed with the Portland Trailblazers last summer. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. There's two minutes and ten seconds left in this game, and it is over. The Denver Nuggets are up. Twenty! Twenty! It's over! Kawhi Leonard, Max Kellerman, I don't want to hear nothing word about he the best. Nicest dude in the world, Paul George. Oh my God. Did he look bad tonight? Shots off the side of the backboard, missed layups, missing wide open threes, turning the ball over. All in, all in the fourth quarter. All in the fourth quarter. Denver ain't no joke. I give them a lot of credit, but this was a straight choke job by the Clippers in the fourth quarter. When you wet the bed like that in the last four, 12 minutes of a game seven, that's a choke. That's a choke job. You see me choking now?
can't even defend my man Doc Rivers on this. Steve Ballmer gave up all those picks for Paul George. And... Damn. See y'all on first take tomorrow morning. I'll have a lot more to say then. Well, I can tell you one person who had a lot to say on my commute home from work today. They played the soundbite from Kendrick Perkins, and I wish I had that soundbite because he had the epic quote, and it's still sketched in my membrane. And I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. He said that the Clippers couldn't guard a senior citizen on recess in a nursing home. For him to say that, that means that was some bad defense that the Clippers played. This was the ultimate choke. This team was built to make a deep run in the playoffs. This team was built to play for a championship. You have a 3-1 lead in the semifinals of the Western Conference. Waiting for you are the L.A. Lakers. And you get clipped by the Denver Nuggets. Oh, by the way, that was Stephen A. Smith leading, <laughs> leading in. I was going to say Stephen A. Smith was very, I've seen him animated, but that was a that was definitely a oh my god moment. So now you wonder what's next for the Clippers. You know, a lot has been made about Kawhi Leonard this, Kawhi Leonard that. Uh, but let's let's just be real, and then I'll get into the story, okay? Because uh, Coach Doc Rivers says he'll take blame after L.A. Clippers eliminated from playoffs. It should have said Coach Doc Rivers takes blame after the L.A. Clippers were embarrassingly eliminated from the playoffs. But, yes, Kawhi Leonard does have on his resume finals MVP with the San Antonio Spurs. But that team was still Manny Ginobili, Tim Duncan. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. He goes off to Toronto. Helps them bring back a championship. Helps them bring helps bring them a championship. So now he goes to the Clippers along with his buddy Paul George, and they brought in some other key components. They brought in a Landry Shamit. You still have Patrick Beverly, who's a who's supposed to be a defensive demon, but I guess when all your parts aren't playing. Means the old senior citizens at the nursing home on recess can have their will on you. Anyway, not long after the LA Clippers season came crashing down in stunning fashion, Coach Doc Rivers said the finger can be pointed at him for the team's failure to meet its enormous championship expectations. After the Clippers completely unraveled for a third straight game in a 104 89 loss. To the Denver Nuggets in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, Rivers said the title expectations were not too heavy for his team, even though the Clippers fell short of reaching what many 
thought all season would be a West final showdown with the Los Angeles Lakers. We didn't meet them, Rivers said, of the expectations. That's the bottom line. I'm the coach, and I'll take any blame for it. But we didn't meet our expectations clearly because if we had, in my opinion, we'd still be playing. The Clippers squandered a 3-1 lead in the best-of-seven series in epic fashion. They lost double-digit leads of 16, 19, and 12 points in the past three games, respectively, as the franchise's Western Conference Finals drought reached 50 years. Let me put a pin there. Some good things happened after 50 years. You don't believe me? Ask the Kansas City Chiefs. I guess the Clippers have to wait for year 51. Rivers is the only coach in NBA history to lose a 3-1 lead in three playoff series, having done so with the Clippers in 2015 West Semis against the Houston Rockets and with the Orlando Magic in the first round against Detroit Pistons in 2003. Coaching woes. Clippers coach Doc Rivers has the worst winning percentage in clinching opportunities in postseason history among coaches with at least 20 games in such scenarios according to ESPN stats and information. Coach Doc Rivers, win-loss record 14-27, for a percentage of .341. Lenny Wilkins, 17-20, .459. John McLeod, 10-11, .476. And Red Holtzman, 12-13, .480. And this is postseason history, minimum 20 games. This team, though, was considered a championship contender from the moment the Clippers signed Kawhi Leonard in free agency and traded for Paul George. We're pissed off, said Lou Williams, who struggled and shot four for 27 from beyond the arc in the series. Simple and plain, we're pissed off. We were up 3-1. We had two opportunities to win this series, and we didn't. Williams added, I think a lot of the issue that we ran into, talent bailed us out. Chemistry, it didn't. In this series, it failed us. Leonard, a two-time NBA Finals MVP who led the Toronto Raptors to a championship last season before signing with L.A. in free agency, said, the Clippers have to improve their basketball IQ and develop chemistry like championship teams do following their collapse. We just couldn't make no shots, said Leonard, who shot 1 for 11 in the second half. That's when it comes to the team chemistry, knowing what we should run to get, knowing what we should run to get the ball in spots or just if someone's getting doubled or they're packing the paint, try to make other guys make shots, and we got to know what exact spots we need to be. And you know, just got to carry over and get smarter as a team. Get smarter. Basketball IQ, got to get better. In the biggest game of the season, Leonard and Greg and George combined to shoot 10 for 38, including 4 for 18 beyond the arc for a total of 24 points in Game 7. Once things began unraveling in the second half for the third straight game, the Clippers looked completely paralyzed and the Nuggets outscored them 50-28 over the final 22 minutes and 50 seconds. I was never comfortable. I just wasn't, Rivers said, of the Clippers 
3-1 series lead. I just knew conditioning-wise, like we had guys that just couldn't play minutes. And that's hard, you know. I mean, there were two or three times a night where we actually started getting it going and a guy had to come out. I mean, it is what it is. So, no, I was never comfortable. I can tell you that up front. I told our coaches that. It has been a struggle all season for the Clippers to find chemistry. Leonard and George slowly worked their way back from injuries coming into the season. Meshing the two stars with last season's greedy group of veterans who overachieved was a chore. Plus, the Clippers dealt with constant interruptions from injuries to midseason additions. Once they started showing a glimpse of coming together, the coronavirus pandemic hit and the season was halted for four plus months. Not long after they arrived at the bubble for the season restart, life got in the way and the Clippers were disrupted by Montrell's Harold Williams and Patrick Beverly, all having to leave for funerals for loved ones. The three key role players each missed time because they were out of the bubble and had to quarantine. Harold was off the floor for a month. A lot of adversity we dealt with, said George, who shot one for seven in the second half Tuesday. Rightfully so. You know, guys had to go home for rightful reasons. We just missed a lot of time being together with injuries in the regular season and inside the bubble. George said the organization has talked about how the Clippers are built to contend for more than this season, but it will take some time for the team to get over the latest stain on a franchise history littered with losing and heartbreak. It was obvious pressure to live up to the title expectations, George said, but as a player, I mean, you want that. It's no cop-out. fact of the matter is, we didn't live up to that expectation. But I think internally, we've always felt this is not a championship or bus year for us. You know, we can only get better the longer we stay together and the more we're around each other. More chemistry for the group, the better. I think that's really the tale of the tape of this season. We just didn't have enough time together. So there you have some take on the Clippers' ultimate choke job, ultimate meltdown, ultimate embarrassment. And never forget what Kendrick Perkins said. This team couldn't guard a group of senior citizens on recess in a nursing home. Well, the Nuggets called for some respect after upending the Clippers in Game 7 to complete historic postseason comeback. We'll have that for you upon my return after this word from my sponsor. You're listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Anthony Smith. Beverly in pursuit. Jokic, nice feed inside to Harris, and Harris gets that one to go. Jokic and Morris going at it. Morris, as usual, playing physical. 
Jokic taking his time. Nice find again. This time Grant. Put back. The ball's it's touching the rim, but it's off the bottom pace of it as Jokic drives inside, lays it up at it. What a start for that series. Jokic off the dribble. Off that right foot and shot is good. Murray drives on Morris. Now pulls back two-pointer. Got it. He is red hot here in the second quarter. Felt he was too good if he could see the double coming. You had to do it when he had his back turned to you. Murray to Jokic. Elbow jumper from Jokic is good. You wonder, can he keep going at this pace as he answers with a three? And his teammates love that latter part. There's no ego with Jokic. Another beautiful pass. He's got himself a triple-double here in Game 7. Right now, Murray the only starter on the floor for Denver. Pumley's pass deflected, but goes. It's to Murray. Puts it up. Puts it in. Jamal Murray now with 30 points. Blank range, Mark. Beverly knocks it loose. Lou Williams just 2 of 9 from the field. Murray, long three-pointer. That's good. Jamal Murray from way downtown. It's a 15-point nugget lead. Timeout, Clippers. Murray trying to get it. Shot clock winding down. Murray puts up a three. Bang! Jamal Murray from downtown. It's an 18-point lead. 36 for Murray. Jokic on the steal. Ahead to Grant. And the Nuggets pouring it on. Timeout, L.A. And you heard the highlights from the Nuggets. And had that been running water on that court, it would have been a flood. The Clippers couldn't stop their own shadow if it let them. So, the Nuggets called for some respect after abandoning Clippers in Game 7 to complete historic postseason comeback. It was Denver Nuggets coach Mike Malone's 49th birthday on Tuesday and before Game 7 against the LA Clippers center Nikolai Jokic told his coach he had the perfect gift in mind. Coach, I'm going to get you a great present, he told Malone before the game. I'm either going to get you home or get you to the Western Conference Finals. But the 104-89 win making NBA history in the process as the first team to come back twice in one postseason from a 3-1 deficit, 3-1 series deficit. Malone was happy to get the latter. So proud. All the guys never got down, believed in each other, believed in themselves, Malone said. In light of all the noise outside this series that we had no chance, we have people guaranteeing it. We found a way to beat a really good team three times. I've run out of things to say. After coming back from 3-1 down in the opening round against the Utah Jazz, the Nuggets had to overcome three consecutive double-digit deficits against the Clippers to win three straight games and advance to the Western Conference Finals. According to Elias Sports Bureau Research, the Nuggets are the first team in postseason history with three straight double-digit comeback wins when facing elimination. I think this is our sixth straight elimination game. 71 days in the bubble and just to stay together, that commitment, that toughness is you don't see that around very often, Malone said, not actually running out of, a, of things to say. 
that speaks to the guys in the locker room and how much they love each other. Just an amazing feeling. Malone's message following game four was simple. Focus on winning the next game and the next game only. It has become part of Denver's DNA to be pushed up against elimination with a clear comfort level playing with their season on the line. The Nuggets' past four postseason series have gone seven games, 3-1 in those series. And now, and they're now 6-0 in elimination games this postseason. But Malone has spent the past week reminding everyone, his team included, that this isn't some upstart bunch. The Nuggets finished second in the West last season in wins and were the third seed this season. Our goal was never to get to a Game 7, Malone said. Our goal when we started this whole season was to win a championship. As outrageous as that may sound to people outside of our group, we never lost sight of that. We kept our belief in that. As the Clippers' stars struggled, 23-year-old guard Jamal Murray shined again in a Game 7, scoring 40 points on 15 of 26 shooting in 45 minutes. Jokic was dominant, posting a triple-double, 16 points, 22 rebounds, 13 assists. The, game, the second Game 7 triple-double of his career, tying Russell Westbrook and Ray John Rondo as the only players to do it. We are just not accepting that somebody's better than us, Jokic said. The Nuggets embraced the chip on their shoulder, leaning into the nobody believes in us mentality and relishing the opportunity to upend the assumed Battle of L.A. matchup between the Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers that so many predicted. Malone referred to his group as the new Bad News Bears and himself as Coach Buttermaker on Monday and hasn't been shy about enjoying the role of spoiler. It's a mindset his team has taken on, keeping the critics, experts, and analysts at the front of their minds as they pushed back against the Jazz and then the Clippers. You got Shaquille O'Neal, you got Charles Barkley, I think Zach Lowe, Stephen A. Smith. All y'all better start giving this team some damn respect, Murray said, because we put in the work. We shouldn't have been down 3-1, but to come back down 3-1 against the Clippers is a big achievement, so it's fun just to change the narrative. Said Jokic, nobody wants us here. Nobody thinks we can do something. We proved ourselves and proved everybody we can do something. Murray and Jokic dominated the final three games of the series, particularly late in games as the Clippers wore down. For Murray, it was his third 40-point game when facing elimination this postseason, becoming the first player in NBA history to score 40 or more in three elimination games in a single season, according to research by Elias Sports Bureau. We've got a lot of energy, and we brought it, and they didn't match that, Murray said. They got who they got. They've got a talented squad. They've got Doc Rivers, too. They've got assistant coaches who are about to be head coaches. We know what they have. We just outworked them a little bit with our young legs. The Nuggets move on to their first Western Conference Finals appearance since 2009 when Carmelo Anthony led them into a matchup with the Lakers. For now, though, they're going to enjoy their upset of the Clippers before preparing for Game 1 against the Lakers on Friday. 
by no means are we satisfied with long said, but I think you have to celebrate the moments. That's something I learned from my parents. This is a moment. It's my birthday and we're going to go party in the bubble. He clarified with a smile in the bubble. The Nuggets have endured a grueling bubble experience, arriving in pieces as multiple players dealt with positive coronavirus tests. They battle injuries, getting players healthy as they go. It's all pretty standard attrition stuff for Denver, part of the identity. Malone and company have forged the past three seasons. They've played 14 playoff games in 28 days and will have to get ready for a well-rested Lakers team that hasn't played since Saturday. Again, Nuggets will be underdogs. And again, they're just fine with it. They got to worry about us too, Jokic said. So there you have talk from the Nuggets perspective. So let me just pose this. What would happen Let's play devil's advocate for a minute. Something to think about. What would happen if we've seen an NBA Finals? Because I'm pretty sure now everybody wants to see Lakers versus Celtics. That has a ring to it. That has some history to it. Because there have been some epic battles between the Lakers and Celtics in the NBA Finals. So right now I can understand with the Final Four teams, you have Lakers versus Nuggets. You have Miami Heat versus Boston Celtics. So the sexy pick would be Lakers versus Celtics in the final. But let's pump the brakes. What if we have Miami versus the Denver Nuggets? That could very well happen. We could have Denver versus the Boston Celtics. We could have Miami Heat versus the Los Angeles Lakers. So why am I throwing all these different scenarios out? Because I think we should just pump the brakes and kind of let this thing play out. I will say this. Let's just hope we don't have no Terry Donahue's in there officiating games and making a difference in games. I know that's probably a bad take. But think about it. Anybody can be bought. But if the games play out, don't be surprised if you don't see the Los Angeles Lakers. But I think of all the teams that's built for his championship now, I think it is the Lakers. Whether you think he's one of the greatest of all times or not, LeBron is right where he wants to be in contention for another finals or the third team. And just how much better you think they would look on this resume. Think about he had to do an injury last year, team to make the playoffs, come back this year, start off season interrupted for four plus months, 
playing in a bubble. And now you're on the brink of a possible finals if you get past the Denver Nuggets. Yes, I had to put the word if in there because conventional wisdom would say, conventional wisdom would say, game one will go to the Lakers. Why? Because they were arrested. But then again, who's not to say that Denver Nuggets didn't carry this momentum into game one and pull this thunder and win game one and get in the minds of the Lakers? That could very well happen as well, too. So let's see this thing play out. So, look like we have chasing Giannis Antetokounmpo, how 11 teams can try to land the MVP. However, if CP3 is leaving Oklahoma City, could he be that missing piece that the Milwaukee Bucks need? Could he be that missing piece that the Bucks need? For those who don't realize the parallels of what LeBron James last season in Cleveland was and why it is so similar to this coming season for Giannis in Milwaukee. I can't believe how much this reminds me of the 2009 Cavs, LeBron's first stint in Cleveland. That team won 66 games, okay? Number one overall seed, but was a flawed roster. They didn't have a Chris Middleton, but they had other good players. They ran into a bad matchup in the Orlando Magic, lost in six, frankly should have lost in five. The, almost the same way this matchup was terrible for, my, for, uh, for Milwaukee with Miami. And with LeBron one year from free agency, the pressure was thundering on the Cavs' skull. And they traded for an over-the-hill Shaquille O'Neal uh, to try to save it. Um, and LeBron couldn't extend. He couldn't commit at that point. And here we are. I'm telling you, Chris Paul to Milwaukee is going to become a conversation. I don't know how serious it'll get. It will become a conversation. It's almost the exact same thing. I don't know what the result with it will be different, but I feel so many re remembrances watching this play out. Now, anybody who knows me know I've kind of been already jumping on that scenario of CP3 when he basically was thanking the Oklahoma City fans and basically saying goodbye and, you know, talking to various people. Some say that Chris Paul is getting ready to retire. No, he's not. A lot of people are making or reading into the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo has, you know, shut down his Twitter page. He is not, he has deleted everybody that's associated with the Milwaukee Bucks from his uh, Instagram. And, you know, when a player make a drastic move with his social media, it becomes hot news. And matter of fact, they say there are 11 teams basically chasing Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I think I can personally see CP3, Chris Paul, in the Bucks uniform. The moment he was saying goodbye to Oklahoma City was the moment I started thinking. He's going to Milwaukee. To me, it would make sense. So, after a second-round playoff exit with the Milwaukee Bucks reigning 
a MVP. Giannis Cooper is eligible to sign a Supermax extension this offseason. That would keep him in Milwaukee for the majority of his prime. But if Antetokounmpo, 25, elects to wait until 2021 free agency to make a decision about his future, the Bucks should not panic. The same $220 million Supermax contract will still be there after the season. Milwaukee should feel confident that it can make the best financial and basketball pitch. Plus, the team will have one more year to recruit him as a legitimate title contender and perhaps improve the roster with the trade. If Antetokounmpo makes a surprise move and demands a trade, though, that's a different story. Here is a look at the teams that have cap space to sign the ring MVP as a free agent in 2021 and what teams could offer in a trade starting with his current team in Milwaukee and what is available should it attempt to make upgrades. Looks like we'll have to come back to that story. So, what we're going to do, we're going to shift gears here. And we're going to get in to some college football news. Because the buzz has been about the Big Ten football to resume the weekend of October the 24th. But now, probably lost it on that is California. Oregon governors give Pac-12 okay to play. So the two conferences that weren't going to be playing now look like it's all systems go. And I know everybody's been talking about Big Ten, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to jump to the Pac-12. I am going to jump on this story right now. California, Oregon governors say state rules don't prevent Pac-12 from playing. After starting the day under the impression that six of his football teams could not begin contact practices or hold competition, the Pac-12 was informed Wednesday by officials in California and Oregon that no such restrictions are in place at the state level, an important step for a potential return to play. The Pac-12 welcomes today's statements by Governor Gavin Newsom of California and Governor Kate Brown of Oregon that state public health officials will allow for contact practices, practice and return to competition, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said in a statement, and that there are no state restrictions in our ability to play sports in light of our adherence to strict health and safety protocols and stringent testing requirements, including our recently announced partnership with Quiddo, which will enable daily rapid testing, rapid result testings. The next step for the conference, Scott said, is for its member schools in California and Oregon to seek clarification from local public health officials at the city or county level about what needs to be done to receive the same clearance provided by the state. 
With clearance at the local level, it's possible that the Pac-12 can return as soon as late October, a source with knowledge of the discussions told ESPN's Heather Dinich on Wednesday. The Pac-12 CEO group is scheduled to meet Friday to discuss the conference options. President Donald Trump, speaking at his news conference Wednesday, urged the Pac-12 to get going with this football season. I want to recommend that the Pac-12 also get going because there's no reason why Pac-12 shouldn't be playing now, Trump said. Pac-12, you're the only one now. Open up. Open up, Pac-12. Get going. Part of me wanted to say the reason he was jumping on them because he was just having a flashback to his, well, I think his league lasted maybe a couple of years before they folded. Anybody remember the USFL? I'm sure you do. Herschel Walker, Jim Kelly, many other stars before they had to move on to the NFL. Scott released a statement Wednesday morning that said schools in California and Oregon did not have approval to start contact practices. And by the afternoon, state officials from both California and Oregon issued comments to indicate that it is unlikely that governmental restrictions will prevent a Pac-12 season from taking place. Roughly five hours after Scott's statement was released, Newsom said there is nothing in the state guidelines that prevents the Pac-12 from resuming However, he cited a scenario that seemingly contradicted that assertion. That assertion. We put out, I think, thoughtful guidelines and again, in partnership with the NCAA about cohorting during workouts and practices, Newsom said. Now, this manifests very differently depending on the sport. Basketball cohorting of up to 12 may be a little easier than football up to 12. But offensive teams, defensive teams are able to coordinate and practice and the like. Newsom, who was not asked a follow-up question in the news conference, did not explain how state rules that limit cohorts to 12 would permit a football game of 11 players on each side, plus officials, coaching staffs, and players on the sidelines to take place. He said he discussed the situation during a phone call with Scott earlier in the day and did not address local regulations that must be adhered to. The cohorting guidance only applies to practice. This practice of cohorting facilities more efficient contact tracing in the event of a positive case and allows for targeted testing, quarantine, and isolation. Roger Butler, a spokesperson for the California Health and Human Service Agency, told ESPN in an email, There is nothing in the state's guideline that prohibits a cohort from practicing physically against fellow members of the cohort. The cohorting does not apply to competition. The state's guidance outlines steps that must be taken prior to competition. Butler stressed that the cohort rule was implemented on an interim basis developed in the collaboration with the NCAA. He was unaware when the rule could be addressed so that teams in the state would be allowed to conduct full scrimmages in practice. We're committed to working with the Pac-12, working with the NCAA to keep our kids safe, to keep our coaches safe, to keep the coaching staff 
and friends and family safe and to keep the larger campus community safe, said Newsom, who played college baseball at Santa Clara. Remember, these are student athletes and they're not isolated in a bubble as some of our NBA superstars are. They need to be integrated in one way, shape, or form with an academic paradigm by definition. That's what student athletes are supposedly all about. Representatives from both Oregon State and Oregon met with the Oregon Health Authority on Wednesday to discuss the safety plans for the football teams according to a spokesperson for Oregon Governor Kate Brown. The universities have asked for an exemption to OHA's sports guidance just as Oregon's professional sports team have been given. Spokesperson Charles Boyle said, We have granted that request and under the new guidance, OHA must receive written plans for approval. Let me stress that up to this point, we have received no written operating procedures for approval from the Pac-12 for the upcoming season, and we have no details from the conference about their new rapid testing proposal. Until we have those details, we can't move forward in the process. The sports exemption for Pac-12 schools will also require visiting schools from out of state to submit protocols to the OHA and the governor's office to ensure training, competition, and play aligns with all public health guidelines and county phrase requirements. Earlier this month, the conference entered into a deal with an FDA-approved test manufacturer to provide daily testing capabilities which are expected to be operational in early October. If that capability leads to the approval for contact practices to begin, the Pac-12 is expected to use a six-week ramp-up period before it starts playing games, leading to a potential start date in mid to late November, sources told ESPN. Stanford coach David Shaw told ESPN that although he hopes the new testing protocols will allow his team to practice soon, I don't know that public health officials are going to be swayed by something that happens 3,000 miles away. The things we all lose sight of because we love our sports and we want to play our sports and we want to watch our sports is that we're still in the middle of a pandemic, y'all said. Public health officials are not putting student athletes above everybody else. It's still about your county and hopefully our testing regimen, the practices that we put in place will be satisfactory to our local officials so that we can continue to progress toward playing football. There's more to that story, but we're going to take a pause here, slip in a word from my sponsor, and I'll be back with some more. So this is the A-Train Sports Talk. This is Zero's Truly, Anthony Smith. Give us a sense of, of the background behind this group, Kevin. Yeah, Dave, good morning. Uh, good to see you. I mean, first and foremost, this really is a special day for the Big Ten Conference. Um, I mean, this is all about our student-athletes, uh, their families, uh, our coaches, administration, the surrounding communities, and our fans. And the only focus and goal that we've had over the last 40 days was to safely allow our student-athletes to return to competition so they can fulfill their dreams of being able to get a world-class 
uh, education at one of our 14 institutions, but to be able to compete at the highest possible level from an athletic standpoint. And our uh, uh, chancellors and presidents, uh, they have been laser focused from day one uh, to making sure that we create an environment to allow our student athletes to participate in the most safe and healthy manner. My committee uh, consisted of uh, athletics, athletic directors as well as head football coaches, and we were charged to uh, present schedules, uh, the schedule models that, that made sense uh, and give us give a strategy uh, to allow the teams to get back on the field. Um, we, we came up with four different models that were presented uh, that we felt made sense, uh, presented to uh, the COPC, and uh, the this, this schedule that they selected uh, will start uh, in October, October 23rd, 24th. We will play eight games uh, plus one, a uh, very unique champion week, champions week, where the, the, the teams from the east and west will match up uh, and, and play one another, two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, et cetera, uh, with the championship game pl- being played uh, at, at the end of that week, I believe December 18th and 19th. So there you have it. The Big Ten will kick off its football season the weekend of October 24th after the league's presidents and chancellors unanimously voted to resume competition. Citing daily testing capabilities and a stronger confidence in the latest medical information, the conference announced Wednesday morning. Each team will attempt to play eight games in eight weeks, leaving no wiggle room during the coronavirus pandemic before the Big Ten Championship game on December 19th. That date will also feature an extra cross-division game for each school with seeded teams in each division squaring off. The Big Ten will complete its season before the December 20th selection day for the college football playoff. Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber said the Big Ten has agreed to have no fans attending football games this season, which will be held on campus throughout the season. The league is working on a plan to allow families of players and staff to attend both home and away games. Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez said the schedule will be released later this week. He said the two-division crossover games for each team still must be determined. The great news today, over the past month, I could sense the anticipation from our players and coaches, and I'm thrilled on their behalf that they will have a chance to play a 2020 season. Stay positive, test negative. Let's play football, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh said Wednesday in a prepared statement. Big Ten on August 11th initially postponed its fall sports season, including football, because of concerns about the coronavirus pandemic. The presidents and chancellors voted 11-3 to postpone with only Nebraska, Ohio State, and Iowa electing to proceed, sources said. League bylaws required at least 60% of presidents and chancellors to approve a return <laughs> of the fall season. Following the postponement, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren formed a return to competition task force, 
which this past weekend presented to the president's chancellors a reviewed daily antigen testing, enhanced cardiac screening, and a data-driven approach to make decisions about practices and competition. The Big Ten's daily rapid testing program will begin September 30th on all 14 campuses. Test results must be completed and recorded prior to each practice or game. Student athletes who test positive for the coronavirus through point of contact, daily testing will require a polymerous chain reaction or PCR test to confirm the result of the POC test. Each Big Ten team will designate a chief infection officer to report data about testing to the league, which will make decisions about practice and competition based on team positivity rate and population positivity rate. Football players who test positive for COVID-19 must wait at least 21 days to return to competition as they will undergo comprehensive, comprehensive cardiac testing before being cleared by a cardiologist designated by each university primarily for that purpose. Concerns about myocarditis and inflammation of the heart muscle caused by viral infections like COVID-19 significantly contributed to the Big Ten's initial decision to postpone the fall football season. The Big Ten will use a color-coded system, green, orange, and red, for both team positivity rates and population positivity rates. If the team's positivity rate exceeds 5% or the population's positivity rate exceeds 7.5%, the team must pause practice and competition for at least seven days. If the team's positive rate is between 2 and 5% or the population's positivity rate is between 3.5 and 7.5%, the team must proceed with caution and enhance COVID-19 prevention. Everyone associated with Big Ten should be very proud of the groundbreaking steps that are now being taken to better protect the health and safety of the student athletes and surrounding communities. Dr. Jim Borchers, head team position at Ohio State and co-chair of the Return to Competition Task Force Medical Subcommittee said in a prepared statement, the data we are going to collect from testing and the cardiac registry will provide major contributions for all 14 Big Ten institutions as they study COVID-19 and attempt to mitigate the spread of the disease among wider communities. Borchers said the testing plan is similar to that of the Pac-12, but neither Borchers or Warren would answer specifically where the tests are coming from or how much they will cost. Warren said daily testing will be available to all Big Ten fall sports athletes. We're trying to rapidly identify anyone that may have the virus and immediately remove them from the population, their population, Borcher said. Just like everything in medicine, it's not like we invented this, but we investigated it and feel very comfortable with that approach moving forward. And we know that if we can test daily with rapid testing in these small populations of teams, we're very likely to reduce infectiousness inside practice and game competitions to near 
100%. We can never say 100%, but we feel very confident that with that approach, we'll be able to make our practice and competition environments as risk-free as we possibly can with this testing approach. So there you have it. Big 10 is looking to move forward. And I know there's a lot of people that couldn't be much happier with that news. So, in closing, what does that do for the games that we saw like this past weekend? Teams we probably never wouldn't have seen, will we still continue to see them? Or will they be pushed to the back burner? Or pushed on the small network? Your Texas States or your UTSAs, <laughs> University of Texas San Antonio's. Will you see uh, your Coastal Carolinas again? I'm pretty sure we'll see Appalachian State. Pretty sure we'll see UNC Charlotte. But what about those teams that we never thought we'd see, like those two Texas schools? Will we see them anymore? Or with the return of the big boys, when they do return, will the little guys be pushed to the back burner? You've been listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith. also want to say I'm elated to let you know that I'm also, you can also catch me on podcastapp.apple. Uh, also on iHeart and many other platforms where you get your podcast from. So that was great news to get that information. And I appreciate those of you who are listening to my podcast and sharing it. And I look forward to crossing over on other people's podcasts. And in this community, we're going to just do nothing but help each other grow. So until next time, take care of yourself and each other. And have a blessed evening. You've been listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Anthony Smith.